In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I have noticed many youth and families now attend a weekday liturgy because it is more convenient than Sunday or less crowded. Is this acceptable? No. No, because there is a commandment, keep the Lord's Day holy. So we need actually to keep the Lord's Day holy and to worship God on the Lord's Day. What are you going to do on the Lord's Day if you don't come and worship? Our grandfather or grand-grandfathers who lived in Egypt, as I told you, Sunday in Egypt is a working day. So they refused to work on Sunday and they were fo- they forced actually the non-Christian government to give them a privilege over the non-Christian people. And on Sunday to go to the to their work late, two hours late, they start at ten. And if you think about it why, I mean, there's lecture on Friday, but they know it's the Lord's Day. We need actually to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day on Sunday. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So the idea of choosing what is more convenient for me, it's not right. We need to do what's right, not what's convenient for me. And in Acts chapter 20, well, like on the first day of the week, when they gathered to break the bread. So from the time of the apostles, the day of worship was Sunday. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, when St. Paul spoke about donation, he spoke about, you know, on the first day of the week, let each one gather according to what his ability. So that's actually the, the day of the worship. It's good to attend more than one liturgy during the week, but not to replace Sunday. So that's the only people that they, during the week, they can go, so they can hear it in Arabic, the weekend is just sitting. They can't do it on weekdays. They can't do it on weekdays. They can't do it on weekdays. When did Jesus clean the temple for the second time in the Holy Week? Was it Sunday or Monday? Actually, I think in the Gospel of St. Luke, it says on Sunday, he looked at everything and went to rest. So the actual cleansing of the temple was on Monday morning, not on Sunday, the Holy Week. What if I feel I cannot forgive someone did something bad for me from a long time? Forgiveness is a choice, not ability. So actually, it is not, I cannot forgive here, I don't want to forgive. You need actually to ask God to give you a forgiving spirit. And the best time to forgive during prayer, so while you are standing in prayer before God, you can start addressing this issue with God and tell Him, I cannot forgive this person. Or I say to myself, I cannot forgive, although in reality I don't want to forgive. So please help me to forgive this person. And now, in your name, Anna, I am forgiving this person. Uh, give me peace in my heart toward this. When you pray about it, and you make the choice to forgive in prayer, then actually uh, you will be able to forgive. Remember, 
that God will not forgive us our trespasses if we choose not to forgive one another. And the Lord gave us the parable of the servant who did not, who refused to forgive his friend. And because he refused to forgive his friend, that's why the master actually refused to forgive him. And the Lord said, thus my heavenly father will do to you if you don't forgive one another. In, in, our, in the Lord's Prayer, we say, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. St. Peter asked the Lord how many times I should forgive my brothers, up to seven times. The Lord told him seven multiplied by seventy. So pray about it. Ask God to give you forgiving spirit and forgive in prayer, in prayer, forgive and God will actually give you grace. You said if someone does not believe in the Trinity, we cannot have fellowship with him because our fellowship comes through the liturgy. So if he does not believe in the Trinity, if he does not believe in, in the Eucharist, then yes, we can have a kind, gentle relationship, but I cannot call it Christian fellowship because we are not members in the same body. But what if that person is a family member who has lost their way? What can we do for them? And what kind of relationship should we have with them? Number one, what we can do for them? Just pray and pray and pray. As Ambrosius said to Monica, mother of St. Augustine. Number two, try actually to address this issue, why he lost his way. And hopefully he is open or she is open to discussion. And if he has doubt about the faith or whatever the reason, uh, you need to discuss this with him. If they are not open to discussion, we need to wait until there is a time of vulnerability. When the person is ready to hear about God, like the prodigal son, the prodigal son did not think about his father except during the time of his vulnerability when he was hungry and he wanted to eat and nobody gave him anything. So at this moment he started to think about uh, returning to the father's house. And many people when we speak to them during the, the time of their vulnerability or going through a difficult time, actually this is a good time to bring them back uh, to Christ. Regarding what kind of relationship should we have with them, it depends on the personality. Some people, actually, if you take a hard line with them, we push them away more and more. And some people, actually, if you don't take a hard, time with them, uh, hard uh, line with them, they will never turn you back. So it, it depends on the type of personality, what works for him. And each case is different. Yeah, some people, when you keep to continue asking about them, talking with them, supporting them, show kindness to them, they one day they will return. Some people actually they will never return if he sees everything is good around him. And and we need actually to show them what we call it the tough love, to take a stand 
and like the the sinner in in Corinth, when the whole community took a stand with him, he actually returned and repented. So it depends on the personality, and I cannot actually tell you it is only one way how to deal with these people. Can I really be holy? If yes, how can I live the life of holiness in the world? Please give me practical steps. I think your understanding of how to be holy is a little bit not clear. Many people think holiness is like I have a set, a set of commandments and I need to follow these commandments to be holy. And I have the Lord Jesus Christ as a role model and I'm going to do what he was doing in order to be holy. This is not the right understanding of holiness. We are born as sinners. In the Old Testament, you have a list of commandments, you have the law. If you keep the law, you become holy. And since no one was able to keep the law, no one became holy. In the New Testament, it's not like this. That's why in, in the Gospel of the first hour of the Agbeya, we say, the law was given by Moses but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. We are living in the covenant of grace. What do I mean covenant of grace? In the New Testament, we are born also sinners. But then, in baptism, we put on Christ and we receive the righteousness of Christ as a free gift. Then we are holy. We are holy. And with this, the baptized person in white garment to say this is the righteousness of Christ that you received as a free gift, free gift of grace. That's why you put the red ribbon on it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And after we are baptized and chrismated, we should fight against sin. But all of us who are weak and we fall in sins, through repentance, confession and communion we restore these white garments again and we become holy again and that's why Abuna in the, in the divine liturgy says the holy is the body and blood for the holy who are the holy us so did we commit sins yes but how we are holy because before communion we repent we repented and we confessed our sins. That's why Abuna prays the absolution. The absolution is prayed several times, the last time after the fraction, before communion. Then Abuna, after he prays the, the absolution, says the holy is for the holy. So how to become holy is to abide in Christ, to keep yourself in Christ all the time. And when we say our Lord Jesus Christ prayed or fasted, or anything he did, he was tempted by Satan. He did all these things because when we abide in him, my prayer will be accepted by God the Father through the prayer of Jesus. If Jesus never prayed, my prayer is nothing. My fasting will be accepted through the fasting of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? Because I am one in him. So his fasting is considered my fasting. 
My fasting now and the fasting of the Lord Jesus Christ became one thing. So my fasting is accepted. In the temptation, if I am abiding in Jesus Christ, the victory over Satan and how he defeated Satan became my victory. That's why the Lord said, in the world that you will have many tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Meaning what? Because you abide in me. So, as I overcame the world, you will overcome the world. Don't worry about the many tribulations. I have overcome the world for your sake. Just abide in me. So, asking about practical steps. Practical steps abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how you abide in Him? Prayer, Scripture, repentance and confession, communion, the divine liturgy, fasting. All these what we call the means of grace. Means of grace means the means through which you know, we receive the grace of God. Besides fighting the good fight, don't give in to sin. Don't say, you know, and I will do any sin, then I will repent and confess and take communion and I will be holy. No. God will not give His holiness to lazy people or people who don't want to fight the good fight. So the means of grace and fighting the good fight. But after I fight the good fight, even if I fall, God understand this fall, falling because of the weakness of men. And we say in, in the absolution, O oh God, uh, the lover of mankind, you know the weakness of men as a good one and lover of mankind. We say it in the absolution. O oh Lord, who knows the weakness of men as a good one and lover of mankind, O oh God grant us the forgiveness of our sins. So we appeal in the God knows our weakness. And that is actually how we will live the life of holiness. The life of holiness just being by abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been struggling with pornography and other sexual sins since my teenage years. I desire monasticism, but my father of confession is rejecting the idea because he is saying my sins will be a block in the way. And I must overcome first in the world before considering. You need actually yes, to fight the pornography and you fight these sexual sins. One of the three vows of monasticism is life of celibacy and chastity. So if you come here, and you still slave to these sins, it will be a big challenge in the way of monasticism. The temptation can be more here. So uh, please try, يعني, through the grace of God and the guidance of your Father of Confession, try to overcome these sins completely. And the best way is what we call radical amputation. The Lord, when He said, if your eyes cause you to sin, block it out. I'm not saying literally, definitely not literally. But the Lord did not say close it. He said block it out. means radical amputation. In practical ways, what I mean by radical amputation? Pornography comes you know, through a smartphone or through the internet or, or whatever. So you need actually to disconnect 
all the things that cause you to sin. Maybe you don't need to use a smartphone, just use a regular phone like these old phones. And maybe you need actually to cancel the internet completely from your house and your phone. And when you, when you need to use the internet, go to a public library in a public place, you know. So that's a good fight. I, I just was saying, fight's a good fight. And of course, overcoming pornography will help in overcoming the sexual sins. Besides sexual sins, they, they satisfy certain void in your life. You need to see what is this void in your life and how to fulfill it in, in the right way, not in the wrong way. And maybe marriage will be a good yeah, option for you, as St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to marry is better than burning with lust. Listen to the advice of your father of confession, and I'm sure he will guide you in the right way. When we pray for others, can you explain what happens on a spiritual level to us and the person that we are, go, we are praying for? Do more sins, flock to the person, is God more merciful to them? What exactly happens versus if we never prayed for them to begin with? Should we pray to saints like St. Mary? Should we pray for her, not asking her intercession? Should we? Yes or no? Actually, in every divine liturgy, in the commemoration of the saints, we pray for St. Mary. We say, graciously accord, O Lord, to remember all the saints who have pleased you since the beginning. Most of all, the pure ever virgin Saint Mary. So, we are saying God, we are praying for Saint Mary, we are praying for Saint Mark, we are praying for Saint Cyril, etc. Who are we to pray for these people? But prayer is a fellowship of love. We are one body, the body of Christ. Even the church, the victorious church and the struggling church. We are one body together. So this prayer for one another reflect the spirit of love toward each other and the fellowship with one another. Also, God accepts the intercession of people when they behalf, they pray on behalf of others. Like the three friends of Job, God told them, go to Job and Job will pray for you that he may hear them. So God actually accepted the prayer. Why he accepting the prayer when we intercede on our behalf? Because God wants us to love one another. So here Job was disturbed by these three friends. So God asked him to pray for them, so Job would not be holding any grudges in his heart against them. Now he is praying for them. Also, prayer for, for one another can enlighten the eyes of the person. If I am walking in darkness and you pray for me, this prayer actually 
can push away. I, I, I cannot pray for myself or I don't want to pray for myself. So this prayer, when you pray on my behalf, this will push away the attacks of Satan and the darkness in which I am living. So my eyes will be enlightened. Prayer also for one another will can change not the person but the circumstances around the person so that he may yield to the will of God in, in his life. It is very, very effective to pray one another. That's why a great person like St. Paul, he said to the people, pray for me that God may give me a word when I open my mouth and preach the mystery of, of the gospel. Praying for one another actually is very needed and very effective uh, and from the life of the saint and from the teaching of the scripture. Do our prayer change the outcome of a situation or a person's life? And does it change what God would do and how he would do it? To answer this question, I want to tell you where is the camera? Is the camera in heaven or on earth? What do I mean by this? If the camera here on earth, I am seeing the events on earth, I will tell you yes, it changed the situation, it changed God's decision. As we read in the story of the Ninevites, God decided to destroy Nineveh. When they fasted and prayed, God had mercy. And you read in, in the book of Jonah, God relented and he did not do, he did not destroy the city as he planned for. So if we are looking from earth here, yes, there is a change. But if the camera in heaven, you want to answer this question from heaven, for God, there is no past, present and future. Everything he knows. So before the foundation of the world, before he created the world, he, knew what, he knew, foreknew what happens in Nineveh. So God did not actually react as if, okay, I saw now the people uh, repented, so my reaction, I will change my decision. All these things are known to God even before the creation of the world. So if I'm answering, answering this question from heaven, if the camera in heaven, no, doesn't change anything because God knows what will happen. But from earth here, yes, God, no, uh, it changes. So, is our prayer effective? Yes. Because God in his foreknowledge, he knows that you are praying for this person. And because you prayed for this person, this person will repent. And because of this repentance, God will not do this for him. You know, he knows all of this, even before the foundation of the world. It seems that so many saints had callings when they were children or signs that they were going to be monks or martyrs or holy people in general. So why are holy people sometimes called from their childhood and others are not? But this percentage actually may be one in trillion. How, how many people were called from their childhood. How, how many people they, and there was visions about them from their childhood. 
And many people actually, they knew it when they grew up, not when they were children. Jeremiah, when God called him, yeah, before you were formed in the womb, I have called you. But Jeremiah did not know this except when God called him. And there are calling for all of us. God called all of us to be holy. All of us, without exception. So if you are يعني, يعني without vision, without dream or any revelation from God, I am telling you, God calls you to be holy. So we need to live up to this calling. And that's what actually the church tells us every morning in the first hour of the Igbeya, we need to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. To be a monk or to be a martyr, this is not really calling, it's just God revealing the gift of this person, the, the talent, or, or in what capacity this person will glorify God. But we are called to be holy. You are called to be a martyr. Are you happy, Yanni? I think we should not we should not question the economy of God, but we need to live worthy of the calling with which we were called, which is to walk in holiness, righteousness, all the days of our life. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.